My name is Ben, and uh, I am the Young Adult and Care Ministries Pastor here at North Langley Church. Um, we're so glad that you are here with us today, and especially if you are new to our church or maybe even new to Jesus and just kind of checking things out, we're really glad that you are here. Um, as Tiana said, today is Family Sunday, so we have kids in the service. I'm so excited. Kids, can you give me a big wave? Yeah, look at that. Yes, so many kids. I love it. We're excited that you're here. Okay, kids, I have a question for you at the start of this message. Are you ready? Yeah? Okay, this is just for you. Parents, no cheating. Can any of you tell me what this flag represents? There's going to be a picture of a flag up there. Just shout it out. Surrender. Yes, I heard it. Voice back over there. Hopefully that was no cheating from your dad. But yes, surrender. Awesome. Uh, you got it. First service needed a few more prompts, but you guys are on it. The white flag symbolizes surrender, right? It signals that you are, are going to stop fighting. You're laying down your weapons. Now, sometimes we think of surrender as a negative thing, as, as giving up. Because raising the flag means that you've lost the battle, right? But what if surrender could be a good thing? What if surrender could actually be the very best thing that you could do, the one action that will give you freedom and life? As a church, we're in a series called Abide, a, a seven-week series called Abide, a people apprentice to Jesus in worship. And we're, we're looking at the different ways in which we express our worship to God, both, both individually and corporately. And today, I want to consider in our third Sunday how surrender is an act of worship. Friends, once we were enemies of God, rebels against our rightful king, fighting against his rule. But when we lay down our weapons, when we stop fighting, when we, when we wave the white flag of surrender to Jesus, we're restored to our proper posture of worship to the King of kings and Lord of lords. Surrender is at the heart of worship because it's only when our hearts and our lives are fully submitted to the King that we can truly worship. Will you pray with me as we begin? Jesus, we call you Lord and King, and yet so often we forget and ignore what that really means. We elevate our own desires, our wills, and resist your rightful kingship. Help us today by the conviction and by the mercy of your Holy Spirit to surrender fully to you, to worship you alone with our whole lives. Where our hearts are hardened by resistance to you, we pray that you would come and soften them. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, it's springtime, and I know many of you uh, enjoy gardening. You've maybe been out already kind of prepping your garden, putting some, some plants in the garden. Um, I was out just earlier this week with my two girls, Winter and Wren, my oldest two girls, I should say. And uh, there's a picture of them here just helping to plant our garden. They love watering. They, they're so excited about this. Two little gardeners there, Winter and Wren. Well, I want to tell you a story about two different gardens. The first garden is a beautiful garden. It's full of lush plants and trees, vines and flowers. Everywhere you look, there are trees that are, that are not only beautiful, but also just loaded with ripe, delicious fruit. Kids, can you shout out some of your favorite fruits that you guys have? Apples, yeah, and peaches. Watermelons, yep. Don't grow on trees, but they count as a fruit. Yes. Okay, I didn't hear all of those, but you guys sound like you like fruit. You're like my girls. They love fruit. 
Well, this garden is just loaded with trees with beautiful fruit. And, and the garden is peaceful. There's a clear stream running through it to quench your thirst. It's a wonderful place. There are two gardeners here. We're going to call them Adam and Eve. They've been put in charge of the garden to take care of the trees, to take care of the plants and the animals. They're the gardeners, but the garden actually belongs to God. He comes by to visit uh, most days, actually, and he chats with Adam and Eve about how they're doing, about how the garden's growing. He's left them in charge of the Garden of Eden, and he's given them just one rule, really. He said, see that tree in the middle of the garden? Don't eat from that tree, because when you do, you'll die. It's for your own good. Trust me. Well, most of you know what happens. Or you can guess, even if you don't know the story. Adam and Eve eat from the tree. They try to make excuses about how they got tricked by a snake, how they only had a little taste, how it wasn't really their fault. You can read the detailed version of this in Genesis chapter 3. But the bottom line is they disobeyed God's one rule. They chose to eat from the tree of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. That's what the name of the tree was and make their own rules about what's right and wrong. They became rebels against the rightful owner and king of the garden. And as a consequence of their rebellion, the, the, the death that, that was going to happen when they ate from that tree starts to happen. It starts to infect them. It spreads to their kids and then to the whole world and then to us today. Shame, rage, blaming, Envy, hate, murder, revenge, wars. This is what rebellion against our king looks like when we set ourselves up as rebels. We don't have to look very far to see the fruits of that rebellion. Headlines of a new civil war in Sudan, the ongoing war in Ukraine, conflict, dysfunction in our relationships, in our families, the addiction, the lust, the greed that's in our hearts, we are all sons and daughters of Adam and Eve. Each of us, in our own ways, left our own devices, is just in a state of rebellion against God and his goodwill for our lives. We're rebels fighting against the rightful king. We've exchanged the glory and worship of God for lesser things. We've set up our own little kingdoms where we say, I'm in charge here, I'm a little king, I do what I want. We proclaim, I am the captain of my soul, the master of my destiny. But if we're honest, how is that working out for us? Back to the Garden of Eden. God is saddened by Adam and Eve's rebellion. And, and, and right then, he makes a plan. A plan to win back the rebels to his side. You see, God's response to our rebellion against him is not to, is not to crush us, not to defeat us, but rather to, to win us back to himself, to love us back to himself. So let's fast forward a couple, couple thousand years, give or take a few, to another garden. This garden scene takes place at night. It's dark, so kids, if you can picture it, at, at first it's, it's kind of hard to see what's going on here. And as, our, as your eyes adjust, adjust to the dim light, we notice that most of the trees in this garden are actually olive trees with, with rough, gnarly bark, and there's olives just kind of littering the ground here. There seems to be a group of men kind of over on one side of the garden, but they're fast asleep. 
And then we hear this muffled noise, and we notice just, just a little distance away from the group of men, another man. He's kneeling on the rocky ground, and, and drops of sweat and blood are just pouring down his face. His face is turned upwards, and as we approach a little bit closer, we hear what he's saying. Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. The second garden is called the Garden of Gethsemane, and its name means the place of pressing. The man in the garden is Jesus, praying to his father on the night he was betrayed, the night before his crucifixion on a Roman cross. On that night, Jesus is pressed in pain and agony about what he knows is coming the next day. Friends, this is God's rescue plan in action for his rebels. His very son, Jesus, taking on our rebellion and the punishment that rebellion deserves, taking on himself all the sin, the shame, the angry words, the envy, the blaming, the hatred, the lies, from Adam and Eve until now, until today, until me and you. Adam and Eve saw all the beautiful things that God had given them, and they said, my will be done. Jesus saw all the suffering that he would endure, all the horrible things that would happen to him, and he said, Father, not my will, yours be done. Friends, here's the good news. We don't have to be rebels anymore. Because Jesus surrendered to the will of his Father, was crucified for our sins, God raised him up again on the third day. Jesus defeated the power of sin and death. And through his victory, we are restored to being God's subjects again. All we have to do is surrender to the king. To wave that white flag, it's the best thing that we can do for God and for ourselves. Here's how author A.W. Tozer writes about the transformation that happens when we surrender to King Jesus. He writes, Something wonderful and miraculous and life-changing takes place within the human soul when Jesus Christ is invited in to take his rightful place. That is exactly what God anticipated when he wrought the plan of salvation. He intended to make worshipers out of rebels. He intended to restore to men and to women the place of worship which our first parents knew when they were created. I love that line, he intended to make worshipers out of rebels. To restore men and women and kids too to their rightful place as worshiping the king. What we were created for. Friends, worship is fundamentally about surrendering our own claims to our lives and instead submitting to God and his rightful place as king. If we miss that crucial piece, if we miss that, we may sing a lot of worship songs, we may do some good things for other people, but we're missing the heart of what worship is actually about and what we were created for. But when we surrender and worship the true king, something inside us clicks it just kind of snaps back into place. We were designed for this. Again, here's how Tozer puts it. Having been made in his image, we have within us the capacity to know God and the instinct that we should worship him. The very moment that the Spirit of God has quickened us to his life in regeneration, our whole being senses its kinship to God and leaps up in joyous recognition. We were created to worship King Jesus. And when we surrender our lives to him, submit to his rule, there's freedom. There's a joy that wells up inside us. This is what I was made for. 
Many of you here today, I know, have experienced that kind of transformation in your life after giving your life to Jesus, surrendering your will to his. You know the kind of relief and freedom and joy that comes in surrender. Many of us can point probably to a turning point in our lives where we said, I'm tired of fighting. Jesus, I want you to be king of my life now. Your will be done. Perhaps we didn't use those words exactly, but that's what we felt inside, and, and, and our lives have been different since then. Perhaps that surrender led us to be baptized and to declare publicly our faith in Jesus, that we belong to him. Maybe it was a moment in your life where, where the direction of your life changed, where you felt a new calling to something, or an old behavior, an old addiction just fell away after you gave your life to Jesus. For me, a big moment of my own surrender to Jesus, I was raised in a Christian family, but a moment of surrender for me came as a college student. And I was wrestling with intellectual doubts about God. I, I, I couldn't seem to trust God's goodness and his justice in a world that just seemed honestly pretty messed up. And, and I demanded answers from God on my own terms. That was, that was my state of rebellion. I didn't trust that God was, in fact, a good, loving king who, who cared about me, who was worthy of my worship. And, and the interesting thing is, I found I couldn't worship in church anymore. I still went to, to church because it was such a habit for me. Um, but, but singing the songs, I, I, I couldn't sing the songs anymore. They, they felt false, and the words just sort of stuck in my throat. I, I wrestled with God until I was exhausted and drained. And finally, I surrendered. Uh, it was, to be honest, a pretty pathetic surrender. All I did was just, at one evening, um, just pray to God and say, God, I know you're good. I know you're, you love me. I don't really feel that right now, but help me to trust it. Help me to trust you again. And I went to sleep. <laughs> but I woke up the next morning, and things were different in my life. I, I didn't have, it's not like all my questions were answered, right? I still had the questions. But, but there was a difference in how I approached them. And I also want to be clear, like, having questions and faith uh, about faith and about God is, is not a bad thing. It's actually a really good thing. But the attitude to which we bring them to God, I think, makes a difference. I think we sense, right, when we're saying, God, I need an answer to this this way, on my terms, versus seeking to understand God for who he truly is. God didn't have to satisfy me any longer in order for me to worship him. I knew that he was the king and he deserved my worship. Well, surrender may look different for each one of us. And surrender to Jesus may start with one crucial decision in our lives, but it's actually lived out, right, as a whole lifetime of surrender to the king. So, North Langley, what, what does waving that white flag look like to surrender to our rightful king, to submit to his good, loving rule in our lives, day in and day out? Here's how the Apostle Paul answers that question in his letter to the Romans. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Paul says, in view of God's mercy. In other words, the, the reason that we offer ourselves in worship is because of God's mercy, because he has rescued us from sin and death and what he has done for us in Jesus. Elsewhere in Colossians chapter 1, verse 21, Paul writes, Once you were alienated from God, you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. 
But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. Paul uses the language of enemies. We were enemies of God, but he reconciled us to himself through Christ. When we wave that white flag of surrender to King Jesus, we're no longer enemies of God. Notice what Paul says we are called to offer to God in worship in Romans 12 here. He says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now that that probably strikes us strange on a number of levels, right? First of all, sacrifice. That's not a word that we often use anymore. But a sacrifice in the Bible means to, to give something to God. Part of the harvest of your fields, it could be a grain or a fruit or a drink offering. And of course, animal sacrifices as well, which were either eaten up by the priests and the people or were burned up. There's, there's a cost involved in sacrifice. You're, you're giving something valuable to God. And then secondly, Paul says to offer your bodies. What does that mean? Well, I think Paul is saying, offer up all of you. Offer up your whole self, including your body, to God for him to be in charge, not you. Give up your rights, your claims to yourself, your autonomy to God. You are no longer your own, but you belong, body and soul, in life and in death, to God. Some of you may be thinking, okay, wait a minute. I thought Jesus' death on the cross did away with a whole sacrificial system in the Old Testament. Why are we still talking about offering sacrifices? Well, you are right, of course. Um, Jesus was the once and for all sacrifice for our sins, as Hebrews puts it. There's nothing we can add to it. And, And yet, Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf demands and calls forth a response from us. Here's how Pastor Doug Williams puts it. He says, We as Christians will never be asked to make a sacrifice in order to secure our own salvation. Jesus has done this for us once and for all. But the Christian life will involve some level of sacrificial expression on our part. And this can never really be achieved without surrender. To surrender to King Jesus will involve sacrifice on our part. We owe everything to the King who has rescued us from sin and death by his own death on the cross. Or as the line from the hymn goes, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Now, Paul goes on in, in Romans 1, 12 there to say, offering ourselves as a living sacrifice is our true and proper worship, or as, as some versions have it, our spiritual act of worship. Sacrifice and surrender are our worship to the King, friends. I love how Eugene Peterson paraphrases Romans 12, verse 1 in the message. Kids, you're going to like this version, I think. So here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. I love that. It's so down to earth, right? North Langley, how do we take our everyday, ordinary lives, our sleeping, eating, going to work, going to school lives, and give them to God? How do we live in a posture of surrender, of worship to the king? What can we offer our king as a living sacrifice? Well, I'm going to suggest three ways that we can make this practical and tangible. Three things that we probably value very highly that we can surrender as sacrifices to the king. Ready for these? Our bodies, our money, and our time. 
One place to start is literally with our physical bodies. Last week, Pastor Matthew uh, talked about in praise and thanksgiving, you know, our, our posture can be just to raise our hands, our, our, our hands express our worship to the king. Worshiping God in surrender could be as simple as kneeling in prayer. Now, does kneeling make you holier than someone else, or does it ensure that your prayers get heard by God? Of course not. But, but kneeling signals very powerfully with your body that you are submitting to the king. It's a posture of surrender. You're expressing with your body the intention of your heart. Some of you may have come from Christian traditions where kneeling was still more common in worship, where you might do that during certain prayers in the service or perhaps when you came forward for communion. In some Christian traditions, like the Eastern Orthodox Church, um, the, the, the posture of submission can be even more extreme, where you actually lie down, face down, you prostrate yourself on the floor as an act of submission and of worship. Um, in the Anglican and Catholic tradition, uh, priests, when they're being ordained, will actually lie flat on the ground with their face down to, to symbolize their submission to the king and his sovereignty in their lives. The story that many of you kids will know, probably, it's not Christmas, we're celebrating Easter time here, but at Christmas, when the wise men came to give gifts to King Jesus as a baby, we're told that they, they bowed down and they worshipped him, Right? They recognized him as a king, even in that moment, as a baby. If kneeling is something new for you, can I just encourage you to try it out? Um, you could do it during worship here if you feel comfortable coming up front to kneel, um, or just in prayer at home, by your bed or a chair. It may not be very comfortable, and that's partly the point, but it may actually help align your heart and your mind to worship King Jesus. Of course, worshiping God with our bodies is not just about our posture and prayer. It involves a lot more, right? It involves a life of sexual integrity. It means honoring God's commitment for, for sex to be only within the lifelong commitment of a man and a woman in marriage. It, it might mean practicing certain spiritual disciplines like fasting, giving up food for a day or a season, or giving up treats during a season like Lent. These practices, right, they, they train our bodies and our souls to hunger and thirst more deeply for God as the true source of life. And, and how we engage our bodies with those around us also makes a difference. Do, do people feel emotionally safe and respected and welcome by your body language and posture to them? I'll tell you a little story about my daughter, Ren. She is two and a half years old now, and she loves giving just big, tight hugs. She loves it, and I love it too. One of, my, one of the favorite things in my day is when I get to come home from work, and I walk in through the door, and Ren just like comes running from the living room and just wraps her arms around my legs and just gives me a big, big, tight squeeze. She is very affectionate with her body, right? And she is, in fact, so liberal with her hugging, she will hug almost anyone. She will hug friends, she will hug kids at the playground, she will hug total strangers. Uh, if you were here a little earlier today during the time between the service, you may have received a hug from a little two-and-a-half-year-old blondie, and uh, that was probably my daughter, Ren. But we're, we're trying to teach her, by the way, just you're like, oh, Ben, what are you teaching your child here is hugging strangers. Um, we're trying to teach her just to be a little bit more discerning with who she hugs, and uh, maybe just to ask permission first. Not everyone actually wants a little hug. Um, She's working on that. 
But, but I love her instinct, right? Like her instinct is to express her love and her affection with just a big hug. It just comes naturally to her. Kids, I wonder if there's someone in your life that, that you could cheer up. Maybe it's with a hug, maybe it's just with a high five. And you could express your surrender to God through that act of worship to someone else. Our bodies matter to God because he created them. So offering our bodies as a living sacrifice is one way we tangibly express our surrender. Okay, second way here, another way in which we can practice worship as surrender is through sacrificing our grip on our money and material resources. Money and possessions can have such a hold on our lives. There's a reason why Jesus warned his followers so boldly and bluntly about the temptation of pursuing wealth. Here's how he puts it. No one can have two masters. You cannot serve both God and money. Think about the metaphor there. Jesus is saying that money can become a master. It can become a Lord in your life. Now, none of us would ever actually want to admit that, right? Like, oh, money is my Lord. And yet, if we're not careful about this, the things we own can start to own us. In Philippians 4, verse 18, Paul describes the financial gift of the Philippians to his ministry as a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. Giving our way, our money, sacrificially to bless others, whether it's through the church or through other ministries, is actually a very tangible surrender to God. We're surrendering control, right? The money ultimately isn't ours. And with every check or donation or gift, we're saying, God, I want you to be Lord. I want, you, I want to serve you, not money. Maybe you're already a generous, cheerful, and sacrificial giver. I know many of you at this church are. And, and we're so thankful for that. That is wonderful. But, but if this is an area of struggle for you, ask the Holy Spirit to help you. What might he be asking you to surrender to him? Is there something that you need to give away? Is there a step in your giving that can reflect your desire to surrender to God? And kids, this is something you can do too, right? Is there something in your life that you could give away, a toy or a book that would be a blessing to someone else? That could be your act of worship. We worship God in surrendering control of our money and our things to him. Okay, the third way. The third way we can worship God in surrender as living sacrifices is through serving others with our time and our resources. Listen to how the letter to the Hebrews puts it in chapter 13. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. Do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Offer to God a sacrifice of praise, verse 15. That's what we're doing when we sing, of course. When we sing God's praises here on Sunday morning and when we tell others of what God has done for us, what kind of a God he is. It's a huge part of worshiping God. But equally as important, flowing directly out from praising God with our lips is doing good and sharing with others. God delights in both kinds of sacrifice. He delights in voices that are raised in praise and worship of his name. And he delights in hands reaching out to share and to care for others. Cooking a meal for a family in need, for example. Fixing a dishwasher for a neighbor. Washing cars at the Celebrate Single Moms event. Feeding the homeless in downtown Langley. 
visiting a lonely senior in a care home, teaching our kids in kids' church. Doing good, sharing with others, it usually isn't glamorous, unless you're Oprah, maybe, and you're giving away cars. Uh, but it's an act of worship that pleases God. And it's another sign of our surrender, right? Waving that white flag, saying, God, my time, my agenda, my energy, my skills are yours, King Jesus. Your will be done, not mine. So, North Langley, as we think about surrender as worship, here's what I want you to do, God helping you. I want you to take your sleeping, your eating, your going to work, you're going to school, you're walking around life, your everyday, ordinary life, and just place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God has done for you is the best thing you can do for him. I want to close by telling you a story. It's a true story of a soldier named Hiro Onoda. On December 17, 1944, the Japanese Imperial Army sent a soldier, 23 years old, to the small island of Lubang in the Philippines. And as Onoda was was departing to begin his mission, his division commander told him, you are absolutely forbidden to surrender or to die by your own hand. It may take three years, it may take five years, but whatever happens, we'll come back for you. Well, it turns out Onoda was exceptionally good at following orders, and it would be 29 years before he finally laid down his arms and surrendered. In 1945, the war is over, and Onoda and his group received news that it had ended. They, they received a leaflet left behind by local residents, and it said, the war ended on August 15th. Come down from the mountains. Onoda and his fellow soldiers scrutinized the note and decided that it was an allied hoax, a propaganda trick used to, to, to coax them out of hiding. And it was not the only message they received. Over the years, they received leaflets that were dropped by planes. Uh, newspapers were left for them with headlines about the war being over. Even cards and letters from relatives with photos of their, of their relatives. Each attempt was viewed by Onoda and the soldiers he was with as a clever hoax constructed by the Allies. Well, Onoda held on in this one-man war until Major Taniguchi, his former commanding officer, who had long ago retired and become a bookseller back in Japan, read aloud the orders. Japan had lost the war, and all combat activity was to cease immediately. After a moment of quiet anger, Onoda pulled back the bolt on his rifle, unloaded the bullets, took off his pack, and then laid the rifle across it. When the reality of it all sunk in, he wept openly. By 1974, Onoda had spent 29 years of his life hiding in the jungle, fighting a war that had long since been over. Hiro Onoda should have surrendered a long time ago. He had no idea that his country was living in peace. Japan was busy reconstructing after the war. There was no need to fight, yet, he continued fighting his own battle, his own war. What he needed was a white flag. He needed to surrender. Like Hiro Onoda, I wonder, are we sometimes still fighting a war that has long been over? Maybe you haven't surrendered to King Jesus yet, and it's time to admit that the war is over. Maybe you've accepted Jesus as Lord a long time ago, but there's a part of your life that you're still holding on to that you don't want to relinquish control over. Maybe it's your finances. Maybe it's bitterness or anger, rage at a person 
that you simply can't let go of. Maybe it's a behavior in your life that you know is damaging you and others. Uh, Maybe you're like me and it's just a demand that God answer your questions on your terms. Friends, what would it look like for you to, to lay down your weapons and to wave the white flag of surrender? What would it look like to pray to King Jesus, to pray like Jesus, Father, not my will, but yours be done? Maybe it's as simple as starting with that prayer, Father, your will be done. If you want to pray about any of those things, um, if there's something in your heart that you want to surrender to God, and just invite you to come either forward to our prayer team members who will be here, or you can head back to the prayer room. If there's anything that, that's kind of touched your heart today um, that you want to surrender to God, or maybe it's just something that you feel burdened with, I invite you to come forward for prayer, and we'd love to pray with you. Uh, it doesn't even have to be, maybe you're not quite ready to surrender, but you just want to say, God, help me do that. And you just want to pray, Father, let your will be done. And just start with that. Friends, the war is over. When we surrender to Jesus, when we worship him as our Lord and our God, it's the best thing that we could ever do. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2 that God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that above that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's not wait 29 years fighting a war that's long been over like Onoda to surrender and bow our knee before him. Jesus has won the victory on the cross over Satan, over sin, and over death. The war is over. Jesus has won. You and I, we can just wave that white flag of surrender. Jesus is king. He is Lord of all. He's the king who loves us, who gave his life for us. Let's worship him. Will you join me in prayer? King Jesus, we come before you uh, in in a posture of surrender, in a posture of of worship to you. We thank you that you have made a way for us to be uh, right with you again, that we are no longer rebels, we're no longer enemies, but we can be called your friends. We thank you for the love that you poured out for us on the cross to make that possible. God, I I pray for my friends, my brothers and sisters here today, that where there are places in our lives where we need to surrender to you, that you would just give us the courage to do that and the humility to do that. We surrender to you and we pray, Father in heaven, your will be done. Not our will, your will be done. We worship you, King Jesus. Amen.